Introduction. I quote, We must remind ourselves that Christian theology does not believe God to be a person. It believes him to be such that in him a trinity of persons is consistent with a unity of deity. That's from C.S. Lewis. That's from C.S. Lewis, Christian Reflections. Interpreters of Christian persuasion have ordinarily not been especially interested in what Jesus intended and did in his own lifetime. That's from Richard Heyer's book, Jesus and the Future. To Jesus, as to his people, through many centuries, God was one. He did not modify this ancient belief. That's from A Dictionary of Christ and the Gospels, Volume 1, page 650. This book is about defining who the God of the Bible is. Such a project might seem to be a rather grandiose undertaking, but my goal is narrowly defined. I intend to search out the meaning of the one God as the object of our Christian worship. What does the Bible mean by one God? What is meant by biblical monotheism? Different disagreeing groups of Christian believers all claim to be monotheists. Muslims claim to be monotheists. Jews also make that fundamental claim. The great and pressing issue is, how does Jesus and how does the Bible define the idea of one God? My investigation involves a comparison between the creed of the historical Jesus and the New Testament writers, and the creed as it has come to be almost universally understood by mainstream churchgoers, assembling with the claim to be followers of Jesus. In these chapters I return often to the central creed of Jesus, the Shema, as found in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and Mark 12 29. I carry on a running dialogue with many distinguished scholars who have commented on Jesus and his strict monotheism. I propose that a vast amount of Christian literature confirms my thesis that Jesus insisted on this Unitarian creed. In that sense, current practice and belief in churches is adversely judged by its own literature and would be criticized likewise by Jesus. I propose also that replacing the creed of Jesus with a Trinitarian definition of God is not a valid, quote, transition within biblical monotheism. And that phrase comes from Harold O.J. Brown's book, Heresy and Orthodoxy in the History of the Church. I'm not persuaded, and neither are millions of others, that Trinitarianism is biblical monotheism at all. I'm thinking here, especially of Jews and Muslims, in addition to a large number of Christian dissidents over the centuries, Jews are convinced that their Hebrew Bible excludes the Trinity and the Muslim Quran warns its adherents against compromising the oneness of God in any way. In later chapters, I have tried to expose the fallacious arguments, often called upon by so-called orthodox apologists, to support the mistaken notion that Jesus and the apostles believed that God was three in one. I think that the public has been severely misled because it has not had the critical ability to see through such arguments. I do not think that the New Testament ever reports Jesus as claiming to be 
the God of Israel, the one true God. Why then should Jesus' followers adhere to a belief which Jesus gave no indication of holding? If being a Christian means following Jesus Christ, then a Christian's first aim would be to share the same view of God as expressed by Jesus. The creed of Jesus would automatically be the creed of his followers. Jesus, as the scriptural records reveal, made it perfectly clear who he believed God to be. But churches have done much to make Jesus' perception of the identity of God at least bewildering, if not incomprehensible. I believe that Christians ought to be deeply concerned that their definition of God lines up with the definition of God given us by Jesus. I'm not speaking here about the qualities or attributes of God, that he is love and so on. I'm investigating this one question, how many is God? I'm inquiring of the New Testament whether Jesus ever gave his approval to the idea that God is three persons. It is well known that expert Trinitarians do not like the word person because it does not reflect the ancient Greek term used in the formation of the creeds. However, their alternatives are very vague and indeterminate and convey no meaning at all to most churchgoers. Churchgoers hearing the word person commit themselves to belief in three persons, each of whom is God. The Hebrew nefesh is equivalent to person or individual. Even God is described as being a nefesh, that is, a single individual. God speaks of my soul, myself, in Isaiah 42, verse 1. God is a single self. Our decision as to which of these gods is the God of the Bible will dramatically affect also our understanding of who Jesus is. We need to know first how Jesus defined God. If God is one person, then the next issue is obviously, who is Jesus? These are central questions about how the universe is now ordered. We need clear and solid scriptural answers. These are profoundly practical questions. We need clarity on these issues so that we can approach God in spirit and truth, as Jesus said we must, John 4, verse 24. Bible readers in instinctively gravitate to the opening words of John's Gospel to provide them with a concept of a second person in a divine trinity. My thesis is that they misread John in that passage and that John is being mishandled and made to contradict the Hebrew Bible and the strictly Unitarian view of Jesus provided by other Gospel writers. The imposition of the Trinity on the New Testament thus interferes with the intrinsic and unified view of God provided by Scripture. Creeds provide the foundational constitution of Christian churches. I propose that Jesus' creed, as recorded in the New Testament, is not that of the churches which now claim his name. The New Testament, read within its own context, never departed one iota from the creed propounded by Jesus as part of the greatest of all the commandments. Followers of Christ surely want to be assured that they are following Jesus at the very heart and core of faith, belief in God. But are they informed about how the creed of the church they attend came into existence? 
And have they made every effort to ensure that the church's creed is one which Jesus would recognize? Was Jesus a Trinitarian? The term Unitarianism means simply belief that God is a single divine person. My use of the term should not be confused with contemporary capital Unitarian, capital Universalist beliefs. I very much doubt whether most churchgoers have given this fundamental question much thought. The traditional definition of God as three in one dominates the church scene as unquestioned dogma. Open discussion of the traditional creed is unusual. If, however, it is challenged, strenuous attempts are made by church authorities to insist on its truth. Churchgoers seem to be cowed into submission to a dogma about God. But church members have typically heard no sermons on the origin or meaning of the proposition, quote, God is three in one. In most cases, they cannot defend this concept against opposing points of view. They have simply been told to write off as, quote, cult anyone who questions the received definition of God. They are mostly entirely unaware of the steady stream of opposition from expert historians and Bible scholars who have objected to belief in God as one, yet inexplicably three at the same time. I'm convinced that false belief holds the minds of men and women in bondage. Truth liberates them. That's a quotation from F.F. F. Bruce, the Gospel and the Epistles of John. We cannot afford to hold mistaken beliefs especially on such central questions about the God of the Bible and the God of Jesus. Above all, we need to be clear and confident about who God is. We all need to be sure that when we speak of God, we are speaking of the same God whom Jesus called God. Above all, we need as Christians to have the assurance of Jesus' approval for our creed. If we are followers of Jesus, we will want to begin by assuring ourselves that we are following the creed of Jesus, confessing his definition of God. As ambassadors of Christ, we need full confidence that we're taking the true God of the Bible to those many who recognize no God at all. True views of God and Jesus are all important for the following good reason. I quote R. Alan Cole, to worship Christ with the wrong beliefs about him is to worship a false Christ by whatever name we call him. For we, in so doing, falsely imagine him to be other than he is and other than he is revealed in Scripture to be. That's from the Tyndale New Testament commentary on Mark. The church, as many know, has an ugly history of persecuting and even killing any who dare to question its cherished dogmas. It was precisely at the time when the church began to identify itself with a military power under Constantine that it was busy setting in stone its conciliar decisions about God and Jesus and their relationship. The institution of violence as a valid means of dealing with enemies and heretics seemed to go hand in hand with a policy to persecute and banish any who refused to agree with the extraordinary definition of God called the Trinity. Could there be lurking behind that very non-Jewish definition of God a loveless power 
by which the church sold out to the world and lost its, quote, resident alien status so precious to the New Testament. Did the church, in fact, ban Jesus from its midst as it insisted on a fearfully complex Greek philosophical theology which Jesus would not have recognized? Is there a lurking, latent, anti-Semitic tendency in the church's avoidance of Jesus' Jewish creed? I'm no innovator. One has only to consult the widely read account of the Reformation to see that our subject has a rich history. Some of the radicals in the early 1530s posed even more profound questions about the church after Constantine. They said it had radically misunderstood the nature of God. The problem lay at the heart of Christianity. It centered on the paradox that the church in its earliest days identified the crucified man Jesus not merely as the Messiah or Christ expected by the Jews, but as God himself. So a religion which inherited a strong conviction that God was one also talked about him in three aspects, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church spent its first four centuries arguing about how this could be. It needed to reconcile its story of a triune God made human with its Jewish heritage of monotheism and with its Greek heritage from Plato. These theological arguments, which were bitter, intricate, and increasingly mixed up in power politics, culminated in decisions made during the 4th and 5th century at a series of councils of the church from Nicaea in 325 Common Era to Chalcedon 451 Common Era. That quotation was from Diarmaid McCulloch, The Reformation. These facts speak for themselves. The question is whether the Jewish Jesus, hero founder of apostolic Christianity, suffered an eclipse during those regrettable centuries of bitter argumentation about who God and Jesus are. Might it not be better for believers to distance themselves from that formative and quarrelsome period of history and go back to the Christian documents themselves? Does the church today simply reinforce blindly its sense of social coherence and identity based on a definition of God which has become cherished and honored by centuries-long repetition. These questions are worthy of careful investigation by everyone claiming to love God and Jesus with all their heart and mind. To that investigation, the following chapters are dedicated.